relationship. And I've got to tell you, since our last pod Zoom for Athon, I um I had to do a big like Zoom training sesh to like fifty people, and I was very scary for lots of reasons I won't go into. But um, but one of the things was I upgraded my Zoom package. And uh, and that was just so I could fully utilize meeting rooms and keep them eat. It was like a four hour thing, Sheppy. So, like, you know, it was well over the time you're allowed for, for groups. And then, <laughs> like, one thing I've just noticed, because this is my first other Zoom since, it's like it doesn't have the gate anymore. Normally it says admit the participant on the free one. Now you just came straight into this. Well, let look any at that. Old, let any old this in, yeah. is the word. Yeah, gutted. I'm like, hello. <laughs> yeah, like the digital <laughs> Mrs. Bouquet. Keeping up appearances is huge in Poland. It's huge. It's everywhere. It's it's massive. So that's one of those where you wonder: Are they forming their opinion of the entire English race? No, I think it's reaffirming their opinion, <laughs> and that's the key. It's playing up to what they absolutely know to be true. So, yeah. yeah. What would Which you I want them to use? Like, minder? I don't. <laughs> no, no, not really. <laughs> Only if it's the Gary Webber era um, that I'm in, <laughs> post-Waterman. They said it couldn't succeed without him, and they were right. <laughs> <laughs> I love Gary Webber. Bring him back. <laughs> um, in all other things, shall we just jump in? Yeah, let's uh, do you... it, man. Do you want to just? Something's just happened. It sounds like you're the man in the box for a second, Sheppy. It might be it's just tucked under your thing there. Because I'm trying to keep it oh, up here so it doesn't make noises. Oh, yeah. Okay. But that sounded, uh, oh, yeah, that's nice. Nicely lapel and shit. Uh, oh, it's, it's my Michael Fish. <laughs> that's, that's, he was a weatherman. Let's at least go for Michael Burke, who I think is what I was aiming for. I didn't quite make it to Burke. I ended up with Fish, which is not good, really. But what can you do? <laughs> can you imagine all the charity events where they get Michael from the news and Fish turns up and he's just the poor cousin yeah. every time? And they're like, so oh, embarrassing. And they're like, who sent for the fish? It's like, oh, no, it was my fault. <laughs> it's my fault. I shouldn't have texted him. I, I thought I was getting the other Michael. Why have you got your Michaels next together? Why not just go for the surnames? Yeah, that would be more sensible. But yes, <laughs> writes itself. I love it. Well, welcome to Shoulders of Giants. I'm Jimmy. Yeah. Hello, I'm Sheppy. <laughs> and uh, we are the What If podcast for uh, movie prequels, sequels, thoughts, alternate universes, but but most importantly, celebrations of, uh, I guess, movies in the past. And uh, yeah, we're, we, we, we take original IP and we add to it, Sheppy, sometimes detract from it, but, but try and add Mainly to it. detract, I would say, but isn't that what any good sequel does? Yeah, yeah, we um, put the diminishing and diminishing returns. I don't know where I'm going. Yet. I don't know where I'm going. Diminishing returns is our tagline. But that's that's <laughs> fine, no problem. Hello. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Very well said, Jimbo. Um, it's all it's all in good fun. Um, so, with that in mind, shall we get right to it? I was the harbinger of doom this particular week, and I selected this episode. Uh, and it's Flight of the Navigator. I'll jump straight to it because I assume anyone who's listening to this knows that they've clicked on Flight of the Navigator. 
I just want to say quickly why I chose it. I said it sort of last time, I think, but I have like various ideas for films for us to do this with in the old chamber. But I magazined, well, no, I put them in the magazine, but I chambered this one because I didn't want it to appear later that I was scraping the bottom of the barrel. But I wanted to do it, so it was better to do it relatively early in our phase two. So I can't be accused of scraping the barrel later when I can easily be accused of doing it right now. So that's that's my main reason. Very quickly, if it's okay with Jimbo, I'm just going to say about my personal relationship with this film, because... I I would put money on ice the summer of 86. I think I went to see it at Cranley Cinema with my mum. And, and I don't remember it, but I am sure that it happens. And I'm sure I saw it at Regal Cinema in 86, when I guess I was eight at that point, uh, if it was summer. So I was loving that. I assume, I remember when it came to Village Video and um, Richard Hoss rented it to me and I, I remember that and I remember taping it off TV in the late 80s so I had it VHS from BBC One and I watched that quite a lot and then some years later quote-unquote not ironically but to genuinely see it but I got it on DVD one of those times when I got back from the pub on a Friday night with some friends we're like let's buy some funny DVDs to watch at some point and, you know, at some point I got Jumping Jack Flash. And at some point I was like, ooh, uh, let's get Flight of the Navigator. So I, I, so I own this somewhere on DVD. So I own it. And I saw it at least once on this DVD in another post-pub session, I assume. Um, now, all of that evidence would point me to believe, you know, considering also I was very much the right age, really, for the film, uh, you would assume that I, I love this film and it's a very important film for me. Uh, nostalgically speaking, intellectually speaking, connection with the childhood and all that. But it's it's not. It's not. Um, I don't. I I don't think I ever truly loved this film at all, and I don't feel any huge nostalgia for it. I'll tell you why I chose it. It's because I was playing with my dog, who is now becoming quite good with a frisbee catch. And every time he jumped up and caught the frisbee, I thought of the title sequence, The Flight of the Navigator, which led me to think, I want to watch Flight of the Navigator. So I wasn't even thinking about the podcast when I came up with it. I was like, ha, ah. so uh, we watched Flight of the Navigator here uh, just for the first minute because uh, of the frisbee catching sequence. And then we watched the film. And I remembered very much the eyeball, the ay, 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 which is my favourite moment in the film. And that I've seen on YouTube a few times. So, and I, and I know the film pretty well, but really, I, that was my only reason for watching it. And it was my main critique of the film, or what I would say plainly is the film's largest flaw, which really made me want to do this with you now for the podcast, to come up with our own versions, to do a sequel, or, well, spoilers, let's just get to it. Just, I mean, it's sort of a sequel, but I saw it as a, a TV show more than a direct sequel. So... I was like, all right, that, that's cool. And that's, that's what brought me here, Jimbo. I like Flight of the Navigator, but, I'm, but it's a, you know, it scrapes by it with a two out of five, I think it's safe to say. And, and that might be being generous. It's not a good film, even with a nostalgic bent. So that's where I come from. What about you, Jimbo? Did you see this when you were a kid? 
I, I did, Sheppy. Before I get there, I think the question on everybody's lips from that from you will be one and very important. Did uh, did Richard Hoss get his copy back? Of Flight of the Navigator? <laughs> he got it back um, because I, 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 I was clever and savvy and I knew I wanted to get that um, drop zone poster that uh, I had my eye on. So if I didn't return it, uh, be wound and all then I would sour his good graces. So no, he got it back. And I think I did rent it out more than once, you know, again. But then I rented out a lot of things more than once, so you can't get <laughs> too much into that. But, but you know, I like the idea of Flight of the Navigator, the plot. Uh, it's a good, solid, very solid, mm. obvious idea. Uh, young kid gets on a spaceship, has adventures in its basic form. So so that's, yeah, good. Um, so... That's on your village video uh, vexing quandary, so I'm loving it. Um, did you see this at the cinema, or do you um, remember the first time? Yes, I I did, and I I I, I did, Sheppy. I'm pretty sure I saw it a couple of times. I feel like it was one of those ones where I was parked in a little fun splash of some sort, you know, which, which for those who don't know, was Jesus. basically what your, what your working mum or dad did if they couldn't look after you during the school holiday. They'd, they'd plunk you at the local leisure centre and you'd have two hours at the swimming pool, a bit of lunch, and then, you know, two hours at the movies, basically. Depending and, on which homeless picked you up and showed you a good time, you, <laughs> you know, the quality of your afternoon would vary. But, yeah, you, you splashed around. Uh, you have some tea and sausage rolls, and then you go to the cinema. I never did a fun splash, Jimbo. I never did it. I remember fun splashes, um, and I remember Baron Munchausen, the poster was there, saying, fun splash for Baron Munchausen, and probably back in. But I never did it myself. I, I have a memory of going on one with you, though. I don't know why. I have a memory of no, that. No, no. We've had our different types of fun splash. Right? So, <laughs> but perhaps not, not, not a Cranley Leisure Centre fun splash. We, we did splash in Cranley Leisure Centre and, and it was fun. But I don't, and we probably went to the cinema afterwards. So we literally did a fun splash, but I don't think it was um, an official <laughs> fun without, splash. Without that extra bit on top, the margin on top to pay the, yeah. pay the staff. We were very savvy, Sheppy. I like that. Yeah, um, we were on it. But anyway, I, I was very excited. You know what? I went from being a little bit, you know, like you say, said at the beginning, I was a bit crestfallen to start. I was like, oh, man, what am I going to do with this? To actually then getting a little bit excited about revisiting it because I sort of thought this is one I have not seen since I was a kid, so it'll be interesting. There might be some nostalgia here. I, too, remembered the Frisbees at the beginning. I was excited about it. So I, I, I did the rewatch, too, on this. And... um. And I agree with you, it flirted at the beginning when there's no fat on it and has quite a compelling beginning with yes. um, being a three-star defo. I think yes. it probably is two, if I'm being fair, for its time yes. and its place. It's all right. It's pretty well acted. Well, uh, to be honest. Oh, like, well, so, well <laughs> so, so we're talking about David, the main kid, I'm assuming. He's I'm annoying. parents too, though. Like, oh. <laughs> they're very accepting on both sides of the coin, you know. I don't know. Right. <laughs> sure. I guess it's just overjoyed to have The woman, the mother, is Veronica Cartwright, who we've also done one of these for with the birds. So there you go. It's a oh. Veronica Cartwright double bill. Is this our first returnee? I ask myself. So that's exciting. The dad uh, is one of the nasty people from FX Murder by Illusion, which is what I will always think of him for. 
and it's directed by the guy who did Grease, which is why there's that nice in-joke where they're listening to uh, the Grease soundtrack on the radio in 1978 when the film came out, when Grease came out, and they're listening oh, to you on the one I want. And so it's Randall, I want to say Clazer, um, who directed. And those are the only two films that I can think of that he did direct. I'm sure he did other things, but Grease and Flight of the Navigator. Sure. Did well, I've got cool. a list for you. White Fang as well. The Blue oh, Lagoon. Wow. <laughs> the Blue Ooh, Lagoon. Racy. Yeah. That's and a change Honey of pace. Yeah, it is. And, uh, and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Wow. Wow. You see, he directed it. If that film didn't exist, we would at some point do, oh, if only they did, like, a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids sequel. And that is a real shoulders of job. It's tight podcast so he already beat us to it so good for him yeah. um did you ever see honey i grew up the kid no no i did was it good? no no oh, no not at all but there you go dad don't eat me um, <laughs> so can i whilst we're talking about that for a second not not honey i grew up the kid but um let me say this the first 20 minutes of flight of the navigator yeah i agree with you um and you gave me a little update and you said this is actually quite good chevy and the photo was in the police station, I believe, um, mm. from the screen grab. And I was like, yeah, that, that is good. And then I was like, I read the next message straight away. I was like, oh, no, actually, it's shit. And that's like, fair enough. But <laughs> the whole police station. So just to recap, there's this kid who I guess is 13 years old, David, and he falls down a hole like a ravine. And he wakes up and he goes back home and he's been gone for eight years. And uh, his parents are all older. He goes back. That whole premise is really effective and they do it really well. And it's always given me the heebie-jeebies and watching it as a kid, that feeling of being lost and you don't know where anyone is and, and the idea of going to your home and it's all different on the inside and there are strangers in there and you don't know where your mum and dad are and everything. That's horrific. And it's a strong concept but watching it as an eight-year-old, like, yeah, I was like, oh, man. And it's, it's a good Twilight Zone idea. And they, they give it time. Um, and the whole police station and going to the parents and the dog is older, which is, that's mm. always been really creepy to me, more than the parents being older uh, and, and stuff like that. So that's great. I really like all of that. Um, and I'm just going to say, just about the film, um, the biggest problem with the film which is my massive problem, is that it's only like, what, 85 minutes long, basically, and he doesn't get to the spaceship for, for ages. Yeah. Um, he should be in that spaceship on minute 31 or get out. Take the time with the setup, take the time with the falling down and waking up, Twilight Zone, where's my mum and dad? Oh my God, it's eight years. But then once they're there and he's met old Jeff and he's in the hospital, then like have Harold, Harold Hessman come in, say, you've got to come with us. Bam, they're in Jessica, Jessica Parker's room. And then bam, there's this creepy thing going on in this place which you're not allowed to get to. I'm going to go in this massive big track which is going to take me across I've there. Got the and, then, yeah. <laughs> and then bang, he meets Max. And, and they should have really, yeah... For, for a film, because he's only actually on Max the spaceship, probably maybe twenty five minutes. I think yeah. it's really, and they don't do anything. They get lost. They go home. They have a nice bit in our space. They have a nice bit under the city. They meet that weird family and the great big guy in the middle of nowhere. And all of that is classy. They get home. There's like actually forget it. Let's just risk my life and take me back to the future. And that's it. And it's it's so yeah. They need like 
much more of the film. Two thirds, at least, of that film needs to be him and Max having adventures. <laughs> it's not. So that's my big, and that led me to the whole. Well, we need to do a short girl's body about this, and that, that's nice. that's where I stand. Well, before your pitch, shall I just quickly give you my revisit notes as well? I've got. Well, that's what I. Yeah, I want. I definitely want to hear. I mean, so. You agree that the beginning was okay, a good yeah. good start, but it loses its way. I've got to say, oh, I, I mean, the, the, you're right. That that whole bit with the kid is the best bit. And then I, yeah. I think the I'd forgotten how much like the I remember the dogs with frisbees at the start, but I'd forgotten they were using it as a tease for flying saucers. Yes, <laughs> yes and I love that as well because they yeah. do that a couple of times. They give exactly. you because they know it's that amazing. you know that there's a flying saucer in there somewhere, and yeah, and this giant dog head comes up, and you're like, oh, that's an expected and then they do it later with another sort of force you know, they do a zeppelin over the car park yeah oh they do that yes very clever yes that was nice. and they do when he's walking in the wood before he falls down the hole uh he sees the shape but it's like an observatory or something yeah it's yeah so yeah it's a nice three thing and i like that it's really great i wouldn't change anything about that film until basically he's reunited with his parents and the dog did you, so a couple of quick like Wikipedia things here, Sheppy. I assumed this was quite a big success. Look, it made its money back, nine million budget, nineteen million box office. But I thought it was bigger than that, and I think it's yeah, just got like a bit of a cult status for, for characters like us that saw it. You know what I mean? But I, I actually don't think it was a very big movie, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is a shame. Um, I put spectacular eighty specs all round. Absolutely amazing, amazing spectacles on all the gentlemen in this movie. Um, <laughs> And um, and the only other thing I just wanted to say is a silly thing before I kind of actually no 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 I I, I I'll say two more things before we get to the pitches. One is just um, the, the the most advanced tech in this whole thing has to be that little unit you referenced, the big trek called Ralph, <laughs> robotic <laughs> assistant labor facilitator, a service robot who delivers mail and supplies around the NASA base. But what's amazing about it is all the tech must be just in a tiny, tiny little microchip for the speech, <laughs> the movement, everything, because the kid can fit inside it. Yeah, it's, it's a like, massive yeah. Trojan robot. Yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. It's the most advanced piece of tech in the universe, but they put it inside this massive shoebox. It's like that um, that surveillance device, quote-unquote, in View to a Kill, which Q has, and it's the size of, like, three shoeboxes, and it makes a massive noise. It's it's ridiculous. So, yeah. It's mid-'80s fascination and obsession with robots. See also Rocky IV, all around 85, 86. That short circuit. 86, everyone went gaga for stupid robots, and it's all R2-D2's fault. It is all R2-D2's fault, and I think, I'm not really actually, I don't know why I hadn't thought about how unstealth the Q robot is. (laughs) (laughs) You accept a lot about that film, or you die. It's a real penitent there. (laughs) They have not even, you know, at least put, I don't know, a little bit of on it. they, They went out of their way to make it more noisy. (laughs) <laughs> they, they spent ages, those Foley artists sweated blood to make that the most loud, like really obtrusive, quote unquote, surveillance device in the history of MI5 or MI6. <laughs> and the, the final thing I say about it is just, I I think although it's going to be a bit of a plot device on my one when we get to it, I was this this whole, he takes that Puckmer in little 
thing. Do you know what I mean? That in his pocket. Oh, the yeah. little creature. Yeah. The, 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 oh. and, and, I and blame he, Ewoks. Yeah, and he shouldn't. If he hadn't done that, then the whole movie actually probably might just scrape a three star because you'd then be in this: is it a fever dream or not? Like, do you know what I mean? And it it could be his whole thing. I mean, who knows? The whole point is mm. they've done those teasers. He's had he's been surrounded by flying saucer light. He just right. got knocked out, had a fever dream, comes back and appreciates his family more. Like, do you know what I mean? Okay, fine, lovely. The um, total recall ambiguity. Yeah, I'd like a bit of that, but we don't have that. So, therefore, we have a sequel when I get to it. But, uh, but <laughs> Sheppy, to you, my friend, I can't wait to hear. All right, I wanted to see if there's anything else. First of all, so I'm going to say the wrong name all the time when I mean this actress. So the, the lady from Edward and L.A. Story and Sex in the City, who looks a bit like a horse, Sarah Jessica Parker. Perfect. Yeah. I always want to say, well, it always, there's like any, any actress with three names will always come out. And so I just wanted to say that right up front as a disclaimer. That's what I mean when I say Sarah Michelle Geller the next time. <laughs> so with that in mind, um, nice to see her with her purple hair. Um, that's nice. Nothing really to add. There was, I'm just thinking there was something else I was going to mention about, oh yeah, I have to say, you know what happened? Well, first of all, the actor who played little Jeff, the annoying younger brother, um, he grew up, as they do, and about five or ten years ago, he was in L.A. where he lives, and I don't think he's an actor anymore, and he was trick-or-treating with his son, who was about ten, and they knocked on a door, and Veronica Cartwright opened, and he said, oh, I played Jeff, your son, like in 1986, in Flight of the Navigator. And she was like, oh my God. And it's so it's just like this random thing. So that's <laughs> nice. Oh, shit. You know I thought you were going to have a real horror story there. I, I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the main character. I, it's, I mean, it's not this. a horror story. Well, it's weird as um, David, the kid who plays the main kid, who's they're obviously going through a Henry Thomas type. Um, in real life, not that long ago, he robbed a bank in Canada and escaped on a motorbike and had a shootout with police and went to prison. <laughs> so, so there you go. That's, that's it. Did you find that out as well? I did, did you know yeah, that? I forgot to say it. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, that's it? good. That's, that's a funny old game. Um, one other thing I'm going to mention quickly, and this will probably come up when I get to it, but about the film, I always had time for, you know, the people voice. Um, you know, when, when Max, the robot ship, turns, gets the personality, um, that, that I was always okay with it when I was a little kid. But I think, but I was always also okay with it when he was robotic Max to mm. begin with. Um, and now, of course, in retrospect, um, I much prefer it when he's just this kind of deadpan, you know, Max before he gets Pee Wee Herman. Um, so that's something. Um, that I do. I, I, I'm sure there's other things I want to say, but I'll, I'll get right to it. I mean, first of all, Jimbo, I'll say this. So I came up originally with a sequel for this, and it was a direct sequel, and I had the basic plot in my mind. But then uh, it just expanded and kept expanding as I was writing it. I thought, well, it would then be a TV show. So then I fleshed out the idea that I had for the, for the sequel, uh, but it's still essentially the same plot and then it becomes a TV show. Um, but it's not technically, a, well, it's not, it's not a sequel. 
it's basically a TV remake is the way that I just did it. Mainly just so I could fix the problem that always bothered me, which is to say he gets to Max sooner. Um, so so that's that's where I went to. But it's one of those ones. It's, so it's The Flight of the Navigator. It's a TV show. 2021 or, you know, present day. It's either uh, four seasons if it's a hit, or if necessary, we can condense the fourth and third season into one, if, if absolutely necessary. Uh, so, but I'm going to assume that it that we're successful. And each season gets more of a budget. I'm happy to say, uh, each episode is 30 minutes, and there are 10 episodes for each season. But the pilot is uh, 60 minutes, uh, and and basically the pilot is the first hour of the of the film. Basically, it's up until he meets Max, but more stuff happens and it's better. <laughs> um, so it's a reimagining of a classic tale. Shall I just jump into it? Go for it, Chefs. I'm excited. Yeah, and I love that you've gone with the TV show. I think it's it's such a good premise. Premise? Yeah. yeah leave it. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> also, I will also quickly say, um, I'm going to refer to the main character as David, but there is absolutely no specification other than I'm saying 13 years old. So I was, so as an actor, it could be anything, but the, basically the character is 13. That's what I'm sticking with. Um, but it could be any gender. It could be any, um, you know, ethnicity or anything like that. I'm happy. It doesn't make any difference because it's the, the kid is the lightning rod. It's the in. So, we, uh, you know, if, if, it need, if the best actor is a white male child, then fine. I'm open to anything, but I'm just going to refer to this character as David from here on in. So yeah, a reimagining of a classic tale. Boy loses family. Boy finds alien sentient spaceship. Boy goes on run. Boy finds a new family. Um, the setup established is uh, more or less the same in the pilot from the, from the film. The plot, the pilot deals with David. He's from 2013. We see his family set up. Meet Jeff, his annoying younger brother. Have him fall down that ravine. He wakes unknowingly in the future in 2021, goes home, leading to the whole Twilight Zone creepy bit. Um, and he's taken to police, meeting his older family and, and so on. And then um, David meets. Now, it's basically the Harold Hessman character, but he's much more... Uh, I get the sense that the Harold Hessman character in, in the film, A Flight of the Navigator... They're going for a Peter Coyote from E.T. type. He's not interested in David at all, and he plays it that way. He's not good with kids. He's not necessarily evil at all. He's not evil. He's just only wants to get the spaceship, but we don't really know anything about the character. So I've changed that basic character. I've called him Agent Jack um, for reasons that I'll, I'll get to. So he, uh, he turns up, and he's apparently a friendly agent for the Space Wing of the military, uh, this turns out to be uh, Space Game America, is uh, SGA, which also stands for Shady Government Agency. Um, he is taken, David is taken to apparently friendly SGA military base where he befriends uh, Sarah Jessica Parker type, uh, who inexplicably still loves Twisted Sister. But through his suspicions and her help, he learns the agency and Agent Jack is shady as fuck. Unlike the film, the Sarah Jessica Parker type uh, actively helps him to escape. She has a much more 
uh, of a role and she gets gets into stuff um, and tells him about the top secret hangar. So whether or not he uses big tracks, we're not sure, but he finds the big secret in the hangar. It's the spaceship. His presence reactivates the ship, and after a tense moment or two with alarms blaring and agents running, David manages to close the ship's door and restore most of the power seconds before Agent Jack and his men are able to get on board. And then David, and who we now meet Max, the sentient alien spaceship, they fly away in the nick of time. This is the end of the pilot at this point. Uh, it ends uh, with David formally being introduced to Max, escaping from the base, and they establish that only David can fly the ship. And there's a bit of dialogue right at the end. David is like, so why can't you fly yourself? And Max is speaking proper Max. This knowledge has been transferred. It's to me, affirmative. But why? My data core was lost. But what's that got to do with me? You have the necessary information. All right, but why me? And then Max zooms right up into David's face and says, you are the navigator. And that's cut to black for the pilot. And, you know, so that's that's very heavily adapted from the film. You know, I mean, strongly, very influenced. But I like You Are the Navigator. I always did. So in episode two, we learn that David was taken by Max originally for study after David fell down the ravine and needed to be fixed. But before he could be returned to his own time, Max crashed eight years in David's future. And he crashed because, we learn later, he was shot down by the SGA and Agent Jack with this sci-fi radio wave gun, uh, a weapon of Agent Jack's own devising. We slowly learn throughout the second episode also, when we cut back to it, that uh, Jack has his own secret history with Max. Uh, David is stranded in his future after Max was shot down in 2021, he and the rest of Max's cargo of aliens were scattered throughout the country. 11 or 12 different aliens in total, which were the cargo of Max, including David, who is now his navigator, um, they're, all, they're all out there and they need to be found. Um, oh, and nice. so the episode has David and Max slowly get to know each other, David realizing that he can only fly and pilot the ship. There are things of him trying to fly. We can even do the, like, you're so smart, you can fly. And he's like, oh, my God. I could. That's always fun. And he's going crashing down, but he, he does it, and he learns how to fly, and that's also good stuff. Um, now, throughout the rest of the season, uh, Max learns that the aliens, including David, are not just cargo, but his crew and his family. Max, through David and their adventures, learns humanity, whereas David learns responsibility, how to be a leader, how to stop being so whiny all the time. That's their general arc. Uh, David and Max must find the lost aliens before they are hurt or that they hurt others or get captured by the government, as well as rescue those aliens that have already been caught by the SGA. And they have to break into some lab and rescue in one episode. Once all of the aliens have been collected and saved, they can all be returned to their proper planets and times, David included, but they all must be together because Max can only perform the time trip once. Otherwise, he'll cross his own timeline and fracture space-time. So the season, therefore, has a growing number of aliens or fellow passengers on board, uh, one or two inclusions each week, David's new family. Uh, the aliens are not humanoid, 
There are there a vast assortment of weirdos, like the ones that we see in the film, but we need more of them. Uh, there's a little uh, one, which is like sort of the comic psychic, much like the sort of the little critter that we saw that we talked about in the film, but not as blatant cutesy poo. Um, there's also a moody teen alien, uh, a semi-organic robot miniature horse thing alien who loves junk food, sort of a Mac and Mean reference. Uh, floating, well, not on purpose, I just <laughs> realised it as I was saying it. A floating sentient cloud of consciousness who's over a million years old. Uh, he's one. Uh, another dog thing, uh, an eye, the eyeball thing, because he's my favourite alien of all time. A chameleon lizardy thing and, and more. None are humanoid. Most can't speak English. Uh, they communicate through Max, uh, all with their own distinctive personality and abilities and look, mainly puppets uh, with one or two CGI things, uh, but only, you know, like the cloud, for example. Subsequently, each episode involves David and Max and the growing clan traveling to new locations in America, a new location each week, uh, meeting new people, facing new problems and having adventures. Sometimes the app will feature the SGA and Agent Jack prominently. Others will almost be standalone. Um, they get the chance to go to any number of locations, you know, one up in the Colorado Rockies or something, uh, one in Hawaii, one in New York, one you know, in Texas. Um, all the while, uh, the SGA and the... Um, and Agent Jack are hunting them down. This is why he's, he's Agent Jack, because it, he is the, the Jack McGee of this bitch. He's, uh, he's the Agent Gerard. He's hunting down the one-armed man. Uh, Mr. Jack, Agent Jack, he is slowly humanized as over the course of the season. We find out more about his lifelong obsession with aliens since he was a kid. We eventually learn the truth that when he was David's age, he met Max, maybe even spoke with Max and had his life saved, albeit it was Max who endangered it in the first place. But when asked, uh, Max refused to take Jack with him. Um, and he didn't have as close a bond that he did with David or anything like that. Maybe they didn't even interact. Maybe he just saw him. Either way, no one would believe 13-year-old Agent Jack. His so-called friends abandoned him and laughed at him. His parents belittled him and laughed at him and even maybe had him committed or took him to see some head shrinker. Uh, the doctor in this uh, mocked him as well. All this leads to a massive chip on his shoulder, a personal vendetta against Max and a deep resentment of David as the kid who receives all that he never could. Um, now Agent Jack actually has his own kid, uh, the same age as David and he was. Uh, he used to be close with his son when he was younger, but now uh, the son is an early teenager and the pair are totally estranged. A resentment from the kid for the father's distance and the constant secrets. Now, tragically, Jack would love nothing more than to tell his son the truth. Uh, but of course, it's totally top secret. We see more and more of Jack as the season progresses. He does a lot of nasty things and there's some close calls when he's like, threatening aliens and being nasty to people and trying to catch Max and David. But we do feel some sort of sympathy for him, even though he is often a cunt. In the second half of the season, maybe episode seven, uh, Jack breaks all of his own rules and in a moment of humanity, sits his son down and tells him the truth, all of it. He tells him the childhood experience, the aliens, Max, but then the kid doesn't believe him. 
the kid, he laughs in his dad's face. Uh, it all comes full circle, and this breaks Agent Jack's brain. And for the remainder of the season, he's, um, he's, he's derailed. And he's gone a bit nuts. It's it's really poor old Jack. So yeah, he's off the deep end and he's even more ruthless and dangerous than ever. He's you know he's he's, he's a pretty much a villain at this point. Um, but of course, yeah, tragic. Uh, purple-haired Sarah Jessica Parker type. He's twenty something, early twenties. She befriends David. Da da da. Puts herself at risk. She pops up. Um, in you know the episodes, every now and then, every two or three episodes, she goes to the family. She helps out there. She's discovered at some point and used as bait at some point during the second half of the season. Uh, older, older Jeff, who's now older than David, uh, the younger older brother, uh, is now you know he's a good guy now because of eight years of guilt, and so he helps out. And the other sort of uh, ally is this guy called Chips who's the crazy alien conspiracy theorist hermit with LSD flashbacks, and he's a general coot who lives up in a shack who David and Max meet early on and who pops up intermittently throughout the season and helps out here and there. Uh, at the end of the season, all the aliens have been collected from all over the States, um, from the forests up north and the Grand Canyon, the Great Lakes for the underwater episode. There's a little bit when they're in orbit around the Earth, but they don't go into space any further than, than that orbit. Agent Jack is able to track Max so that they can't stay in one place for too long. Um, the SGA, of course, are also rounding up the aliens and also use one or two as bait. Uh, some of these aliens are more intelligent or advanced than others. None are malicious, but of course they can be dangerous if threatened. One or two could be very dangerous, but unintentionally, like one of the aliens gives off like a weird gas or secretion as a way of breathing, which makes humans who breathe it in, they all turn loopy. So there's an episode where there's like a town overrun, like a tiny Midwestern town, where everyone's gone insane or something. <laughs> Another makes you start to evolve into this type of alien if left unchecked. So there's an ep where a small down population turns into weird alien creatures. And David and Max must find the original as well as undo the harm to the residents. Uh, there's a two-part finale for season one. All comes to a head with Max is captured by Agent Jack. The aliens and David are stranded. Uh, the Ser Jessica Sarah Parker type and older Jeff and the coot help David and the aliens. Each alien has an ability and a quirk and a gift uh, which all help and contribute to the rescue of Max for this big team effort. It ends with uh, Agent Jack being thwarted. Max's power is finally fully restored, and they all fly away to take David and the aliens back to where they belong. So the very end of the last episode of season one has them um, time jump, uh, supposedly back eight years to leave David in his own time. There's an emotional farewell, and David says goodbye to Max, and he steps outside the ship, and he stares, and David's like, uh, Max, you said we skipped back eight years? And Max is like, of course. And David's like, uh, yeah, I don't think this is 2013. And we have an epic pullout from David and Max, and they're 
standing next to each other on a rock ledge. We continue to pull back and on the side of a giant volcano and we pull back <laughs> further and further. And there are other volcanoes erupting all around and rivers of molten lava and a vast craggy landscape. And finally swooping through the air, there is some pterodactyl. And the last shot is a giant Tyrannosaurus rex which fills the screen and it turns their head towards them and bellows. And we just hear Max say, whoops, and that's the credits. <laughs> that's the, the end of, of season one. So that was also kind of... <laughs> For half an hour, though, that... let me just be clear, Sheffy. You said 30 minutes over 10 episodes. There's so much there. So it's like about three seasons worth. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's I mean, it's... The thing yeah, I'm doing is... Like, alone, it's alone. <laughs> <laughs> It's tight, Jimmy. It's tight. <laughs> so um, I wanted to end it with this. Like when I when I was still doing it as a straight up sequel, it had him go back, um, and it was like Marty McFly Cowboys. Um, but then I thought, what's the furthest of there? What's the biggest you can do with that sort of cliffhanger? So yeah, it's it's. Done. Can I tell you about season two? Um, it's shorter. Yeah, season no, one is the biggest. I'll, 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 I'll breeze through. Uh, each season has a bigger budget and a larger scope, uh, and it is you know still for kids, so it's that sort of thing. But wait a minute, two... wait a minute. <laughs> How much I mean, you would have needed the whole studio <laughs> to go all in on what you just pitched to me? <laughs> all in. They're, they're doing it, David Banner. You, you don't need that much budget. You know, you, you've got the budget for the alien puppets, and you've got the budget for Max to make him look cool, and you have the budget for different locations. But it's like David Banner or the littlest hobo you don't need that much per episode no, is what i'm saying but <laughs> yeah but hold that thought because season two uh that last shot of season one has the same amount of money as the rest of season one so season two has max and david in in different eras each episode so yeah jimbo this i'll concede this this will cost but it's already been a huge hit so by season two the studio has ponied up much more dough so there are dinosaurs in an episode they're in the old west in an episode they're in the roaring 20s the civil war uh whatever you like i wanted to keep it in america um and not go global but there's i don't know why it could easily go global but various times throughout american history they're jumping around doing a bit of a quantum leap one episode has david and max having to break into george washington's white house there's hijinks there uh, i also figure that max you know, he's like this sort of big eyeball on the metal arm. I think for season two, um, he learns he can, he's able to disconnect and he can hover. So Max's head can leave the ship up to, you know, a certain distance and fly independently. So he and David can leave the ship and have adventures together. Um, but I think that might be a season two thing. I don't know if that's going to happen in season one. It's not necessary, I don't think. Like but either way, idea. yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, okay. So that's that's the broad. You know, uh, Agent Jack isn't in it. Um, it's all in the past, and it's all relatively standalone. And I don't know exactly if it's they're trying to get home, and it's pure quantum leap, and they keep arriving in a different place, or if there's something they need. They're not going to be collecting aliens again, but they, there's something they need in each time place, and putting it together. That might be a bit too similar. You know, just like but there's a reason they're parking in this place each time. Um, maybe, I don't know, for science reasons, they have bits of information. Whatever the reason is, 
the climax of the season has then finally get back to David's time, 2013, minutes after he first disappeared. So it's completing the circle, so he won't be missed. None of it will have happened. Um, he says again, goodbye to Max. Like, okay, thank you. You finally did it. Good luck. He goes back to his home. Uh, there are his parents, the right age, and Jeff, the right age, and the dog is the right age, and he's back. And David runs into his house, the light on his face, which then turns to dumbstruck, a dumbfounded shock. Uh, there with his folks in the lounge, his agent Jacks from 2013. And he says, hello, David. Credits, end of season two. How? The reason is time shit. Jack has his own uh, tech that he harvested for Max after capturing him in the season one finale, which led him to do all sorts of weird stuff change reality and so forth. So season three has the return of the SGA and Agent Jack and Sarah Jessica Parker and both Jeffs, the eight-year-old Jeff and the 16-year-old Jeff together, um, which is nice. Uh, by the end of episode one of season three, uh, all of them, um, who I've just mentioned, are all shot out into space, far, 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 far from Earth, uh, including Agent Jack, who got on board the ship all of them now is like a team. They're in deep space. Um, alien planets, a new super baddie who they must all fight together in order to survive. Uh, maybe an evil Max from Max's home world, which is hinted at. Um, huge uh, end of the season has Max. So I must take you to the, the most dangerous place in the universe. Dave's like, where? Max is like, my home. So after hearing all about Max's home world in season three, season four is a planet of Max's. Uh, not all ships, but various AI and variations, as well as organics, who may or may not be kind of like the lesser species, treated as second-class or worse citizens. Um, the slaves must be freed. Intergalactic civil war. Agent Jax is not the main villain here. Me and um, plus, you know, he was never totally evil. But in, in season three and four, he's kind of acting as the Dr. Smith from Lost in Space. You know, brilliant mind, helpful, resourceful. He's been, you know, his life has been saved by Max. He saved Max and David's life a few times. He's kind of almost like Rick from Rick and Morty in a way. Um, he's absolutely not to be trusted and he does betray them a bunch of times as well. He always has his own agenda. In season four, at some point, he joins forces with evil Max just when you think that he's actually become proper good. But by the end of the season... He redeems himself and makes a supreme sacrifice to get David home and blows up with Evil Max. Uh, oh. Evil Max is destroyed. The war is diverted. The big baddie is fucked. Yeah. Uh, and all return to their proper time and place. The very final episode, the finale of season four and the finale of the whole show, uh, David and Sarah Jessica Parker have been bonding all the way through the season and David is in love with her but she's too old for him, uh, of course, and there's a bit of drama there. Um, after he and young Jeff are back home, minutes after they were taken, and this time there is no Agent Jack on the sofa waiting for them, uh, the unsuspecting parents are still unsuspecting, despite, of course, David looking at least four years too old at this point. Um, maybe they mentioned that. And David says a sad farewell to Sarah Jessica Parker, who must go back to 2021 with older Jeff. So Max leaves them in their proper place of 
2013. Uh, we also see in 2013, agent or now play Mr. Jack in his home with his son, who's about six years old at this point, because it's 2013. And they're bonded and happy and oblivious to the previous life and death. Uh, he never joined the SGA and he's got a happy life with his son. Um, right at the end, a new family has moved in down the street from David's, and it's Sarah Jessica Parker, age appropriate 2013. Uh, bit of a Masters of the Universe Jumanji, but her dad was killed when she was 16, which fucked her up, and now she's 13. And someone, which of course we found out is Max, has arranged for a great new job for her dad in this new town. So she's here, unfucked up, and she's still got her dad, and she meets David, and they're both the right age. And David's like across the street and they're just moving in. And David's like, hey. And she's like, hello. And David's like, you like Twisted Sister? She's like, how did you know? And David says, just a hunch. And credits, <laughs> he looks up to the sky and wishes his friend a happy life. And Max wishes one right back on him. Credits. And that's, that's the season four arc of, of okay, Flight Navigator. <laughs> the, um, the tagline <laughs> for season one is Adventure Just Went Stellar. Season two, the tagline is Time Rewritten, Adventure Reimagined. Season three, New Worlds, New Aliens, Same Old, Same Old. And season four, Bigger, Badder, Bolder, David and Max Just Went Galactic. Um, and find your direction, find your way to the past, to the stars to family. And that's kind of like the bigger uh, tagline. <laughs> so, so, so there you go. There you go. I wasn't expecting all of that to, to, to spill out. So I was as surprised as anyone. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing, Shippy. Jesus, make that show. It was wonderful. I'm all over that. I'd, I'd watch that till the cows come over. It's lovely. My my only thought was going to be is 30 minutes going to do each one justice, but then Mandalorian's kind of proven you can do it if you don't have any fat. And the movie, right, yeah. one of its flaws, doesn't have much fat on it, does it? So Yeah, and I'm also thinking 30 minutes these days, you've got Cobra Kai. Um, and, it, and because this is still, I don't want it to be, you know, it has adult themes, but it's still for kids. So 30 minutes sort of forces you not to get too bogged down, actually, in like the character stuff and have the character stuff happening whilst there's goofy alien shit happening at the same time and keeping it you know, snapping along. That is uh, it's unfollowable, Sheppy. It's almost worth doing this podcast in two halves. Because <laughs> it's going to be epic. The flight of the navigator is going to be epic, which is amazing. I know. Who knew? Um, yeah, it's always the way. It's like the one that you really are not actually invested in, which <laughs> produces uh, large results often. It's funny how that works. <laughs> All right, should I, should I try and return the serve? Because I've gone oh, in please. a different, a different way, different way. Oh, that's perfect. So, that's great. That's what it's all about. <laughs> uh, I've gone. There's lots of themes, lots of references to other movies coming up, Sheps, in a moment. I guess one of the the key things to keep in mind is I've gone with two bits of consistency on the original movie here. One is making it a two star. <laughs> And the nice. second is 
um, having, a, I think, a decent idea. I really got excited by my first sort of 10 mins of this and then not realizing the potential of it as well. <laughs> so that's the other thing I've done there consistently. Nice. So um, we've, got, we've got Return of the Navigator. That's the title. It is made. Oh, I love it. That's made good stuff. Now. Made now. Nice. But set in 1978. Um, so this is uh, this is assuming a universe where, like, like the Navigator made a hundred mil on its nine mil, um, and everybody the world it was Back to the Future. Yeah, everybody's been waiting for the sequel, um, and this is it. Technology has finally caught up with the vision of director James Cameron, who's taken Ooh. a hiatus from Avatar to Twelve Tinkerage. I put here. There is so much unnecessary technology in what I'm about to go through. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from, I should say, um, we didn't bring Ralph back because Cameron, like, was basically of a, it has to be the real Ralph, and half the budget of the movie is spent on trying to recreate the real Ralph, and they never got, quite got the tech right because it's too complicated. Um, <laughs> I, I just made that up. But <laughs> That's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> so here we go, Sheppy. like, I am going to give you some nuggets that you might expect at the top end as we go. So just casting-wise, just stay with me a little bit. But um, So we open with the exact moment that um, David uh, wakes up in that ravine at the, the beginning of uh, Flight of the Navigator. Uh, sorry, beginning and end of Flight of the Navigator. Right, um, with the crickets chirping and stuff. Yeah, and we follow him back up the ravine, over the railway track, um, back to the house. Um, goes on the boat with his mum and dad and brother exactly as the ending of the movie, A Flight of the Navigator. So we, But because it's set now, we have basically recast the opening to recreate it beat for beat, the ending. But it's, it's basically new actors with one exception, and they, they are recreating that whole sort of last uh, five It's minutes. the Back to the Future too. I want to share my screen with you right i'm just going to do this sorry listeners this is not professional for a podcast but i've just put here can you see sheppy it says sheppy will see what <laughs> the future want to be <laughs> amazing <laughs> that's nice i'm happy that that worked out for me um so, um, so here's your here's some of your cast um, for David Freeman, obviously, we, we, we're recasting this young man. Um, it's going to be a guy called Jack Dylan Grazer, who is the young kid in Shazam. Um, oh. We've got, uh, I, I'm going to have Richard Aowardi as the voice of Max. I'm not going Pee Wee nice. Herman. I'm keeping him dry the whole way, to your point nice. as well. Um, I, I, there'll be some kind of memory wipe that's happened there for Max, so that's all right. We'll, we'll cover that later. We're going with for um, the dad, a slightly de-aged. That will come. There'll be a reason for that in a moment. A slightly de-aged William Zabka as the dad, Bill. He's grown his hair a little bit. It's a different energy to what he brings to Johnny. He's been a little bit more like himself in real life, just a nice guy. Uh, but this is all part of his renaissance, Sheppy. He's now in the biggest movie that's happening this year. Do you know what I mean? Zabka's in as the dad. He's in McConaughey to the role. He got the role of McConaughey. <laughs> um, and then we've got, um, I'm going with the mum played by Ellen Pompeo, the lady of Grey's Anatomy, right? Oh, so we've nice. got some freaking big hitters here, man. This, this, you know, anyway. Um, and then, <laughs> for no reason other than Cameron showing off, 
We've got Albie Whittaker, your trick-or-treat superstar. Um, the original <laughs> unknown kid is Jeff Freeman, just wandering around eight years old, just totally digitised. <laughs> That's amazing. That's no such a waste. <laughs> no reason. That's and amazing. Two other characters to give you. We've, we've got our, um, and I'm putting in brackets, Doctor, but Lewis Faraday, your, your NASA guy, and aged, aged, obviously, about eight years younger. But that's going to be played by Aaron Paul when he gets to us, this guy. He's a bit more junior at NASA at this stage in 1978, obviously, because he's, um, yeah. you know, he's going to be Aaron Paul. Um, and then uh, we've got then a guy that I'm calling Dr. Harold McAdams for no reason other than it's it's basically he's slightly more senior. And the McAdams is the surname of your Sarah Jessica Parker lady. who So he's her dad, basically. So she's not in this. But there's a nice bit of nepotism went on. He obviously got her the job, but um, <laughs> but he's going to be the villain, and he's Peter Dinklage in this. So oh, nice. got a pretty like you know, it's a solid cast there. Hopefully, so anyway, anyway, we we recreated the beginning of the the end of Flight of Navigator beat for beat with this new cast, and um, and then we have um, our, the Fourth of July fireworks happen. The family return home on their little boat and everything. We go to bed. And um, and basically, um, over this period, this one of those where the credits is playing out over this as well. Um, and uh, obviously, the, uh, David has taken his little alien. Uh, it's called a Puckerman, apparently. But he's taken this little Puckerman, and he puts it. His, his mum says good night. He takes the Puckerman out of his pocket, puts it into a little shoebox on the bed next to him, and maybe with a little flannel or something from the bathroom. And, and basically, we pan out of the window some more fireworks in the sky and all of that kind of stuff for Independence Day. And then we have the directed by James Cameron. And then they do one of those little sky turns blue overnight, you know, we get a little title card after the directed by Cameron. And it just says 5th of July, 1978. And then, um, and then basically pans back to the, the window again. And we just hear David's voice going, I, I don't know. I've, I've just called it Puckerman. Puckerman. I don't know what we call that little alien, but let's just say alien sure. called Puckerman for whatever. You just hear him yeah. say Puckerman, Puckerman. And we go in through the window, and this little Puckerman's fur is bright white, and he looks very, very fragile, and um, and like very a lot older. And um, and the mum enters the room, Helen Pompeo, you know, the Grey's Anatomy lady, and just goes, "David, are you okay?" And then as she walks into the room, she says who the hell are you? And we haven't seen David yet. And the camera just flips around. And there's basically a big style moment where David is aged 20 years overnight. So your, your Shazam kid has only been brought back in for the first five minutes as a little tease. Want to complete Shazam, one of it. <laughs> and I've, I've pulled one specific element of the, um, the original Sheppy that I quite liked. So time, um, whether or not it's right or not, who cares? But they say time slows down as you approach the speed of light. Well, what if you've ex been exposed to that and then you come away from that? Does it speed up? And I'm saying yes. So nice. um, if he was 12, 13 years old, then basically over, um, that means it was eight years over about four hours um, in the original movie. So it's basically a year is 30 minutes. So that's the time we're playing with the other way around. And um, so we're, here That's we some have good, him. Good Stephen Hawking stuff going on. <laughs> so I've got David waking up being played by Robert Patterson. I mean, we're freaking oh. all the superstars are back. So Joey Kramer blew it, man, by rubbing that bank. He's not coming back. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so now with this oh, movie, Joey 
<laughs> this movie takes place over 38 hours over the, the, this this now defined period because he'd get to about 80 in 38 hours. So that's that's the time frame we've got. So anyway, in this moment, we've got a big style. The mum's like, who the hell are you? My son's bed sort of thing. Yeah. And, we've um, all been there. <laughs> and, uh, so David scoops up this aged Puckerman and, um, and, and it's a very edgy sort of, you know, scene where he's basically being accused of being a stranger. Um, but we don't have the, him having to be banished from the house. He actually manages to, over the course of this scene, convince his folks that he is who he says he is. Maybe it's a childhood memory on he would know or something like that, you know. Um, and they're just absolutely, obviously, beyond freaked out. Um, and but but you know, in a sort of an eighties style way, because it's a bit of a rubbish movie. They sort of are convinced by it, and they don't overreact too much. Yeah. And um, and then we have this little moment where he goes to the bathroom, is looking in the mirror, and it was never pulled through. But for a very very contrived plot reason, um, I'm going to have him having asthma, and he pulls out his inhaler, and as he's about to give himself a squirt. He just looks down, he's wearing like pants that are obviously absolutely tighty whities at the moment. And he's, and he just, he, we, we don't see, but he just like looks in them and then drops mm-hmm. the inhaler on the floor and it's sort of a Disney puberty de- dealt with moment. Um, Judge Reinhold. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> he borrows his dad's clothes and, uh, and, and basically he says like, you've got to get me to NASA because he knows, obviously he's got the knowledge of the first movie they drive to NASA. He asks for Dr. Lewis Faraday and they're like, doctor, you know, and he's not a doctor yet, obviously. And um, and, and he meets with Dr. Harold McAdams, our, our man Dinklage, who's super friendly, but he's actually obviously secretly a bit of an ass too. And he gives the full, like to your point around getting straight to it, he goes straight for it. He tells the scientists he was taken to a planet called Phalion, you know, 560 light years away, whatever. He gets them to plug the thingies that he you know exist into his head. The picture of the ship comes up and all of that. And um, and then basically, as he's doing that, they say, "Sir, you know the the first sh- they're talking to Harold McAdams, the NASA dudes, and the first shots from Fort Lauderdale come through. And essentially, the ma- there's a match for the ship they've just caught. So Max has gone and got himself caught again because he's that useless. Um, and um, and so they bring the ship in." Um, and we're, this is all like bloody first 20 minute ships and David knows what to do and you know and how to unlock the ship and everything and everybody in NASA is agog at this including his folks and everything um, when he walks in the door I mean this is where I start to unravel a bit Sheppy to put us with you but um, we, uh, he walks into the ship there's no one in the ship and he's walking around a little bit so all the things he's familiar with um, but then there's a jump scare as Max appears and um, and he doesn't seem to remember him, but um, but he does know that he's got the puckerman on him still in his rucksack or something like Gremlins or something, you know. And, uh, and Max is furious that he's taken the puckerman. He puts the pucker, lifts him out um, somehow, maybe a little. He's got a claw, yeah. <laughs> and puts him into a steamy weird bath, and it deages the puckerman. Sweet. Um, and um, so. <laughs> Uh, and I put here, by the way, obviously there's quite a compelling human premise that you've got only 30 hours to live, but I'm not going to do anything with that. <laughs> We're just going to have fun in a, in a spaceship again. So um, obviously, uh, basically, it, as all of this is happening with the bath, um, Dinklage has walked into the ship behind David. Um, and um, and is looking around with extraordinary, you know, this is extraordinary. And um, 
and and then obviously David says I can drive this thing, and Dinklage is like, wow, you know, I, I that's amazing, and we've got to keep you here for testing all this sort of thing, and she, he's having none of that, obviously. And Max is actually quite keen to just get bloody going, obviously, as soon as possible. Um, and he sort of says, there's no point hanging around with a bunch of humans that are going to destroy their own planet. And, uh, and, and yeah, this is it. it was 78, right? And, of course, um, one of the things I love about Max is this cool sort of mega screen that we get at the front. You know what I mean? So there's almost like that, just yeah. that window, essentially, to what's happening, which is very helpful for future Disney rides and all that sort of stuff. But it's really cool when yeah. it's like a little simulator. So Max shows them the world in 2020 and the impacts of global warming, and it's it's too late. But apparently there's one, you know, if they really want to know, there's one flower that grows on Max's home planet, and they could collect the seeds and bring them back. Um, and um, And basically... Max has talked into into sort of colluding with them to kind of take the navigator out to the uh, the planet, but also just so that he can learn a little bit about the tech. And he's I don't know, he's got some gear that will help him understand the ship if it gets flown or whatever. I don't know. Sure. Um, nice. But Dinklage gets Max on side because he's he's convinced him that actually Max has only seen ten percent of a twelve year old's boy's brain. Why not try a genius adult brain instead? Um, and um, and Aaron Paul is a bit of a, tr- a prodigy, the guy who's going to turn into the sort of the NASA villain from the the, few, the, the original movie. Um, and uh, so basically, the setup is Aaron Paul and David are going to go off into space, collect the seed from the home planet, and um, and and basically, uh, <laughs> so shit. <laughs> Um, and, and, and basically, there's sort of a why wouldn't you go to Dinklage? And, uh, and Dinklage is totally not convinced the ship's tech is going to work. So he's sort of like, he's absolutely prepared to sacrifice Aaron Paul, but not himself. Um, and David resolves, That's great. David resolves to do the sort of the five hour round trip. Um, it's going to be another 10 years, obviously, of his life. Um, but what we then do is, you know, we, we then have this spectacular space trip. We have sort of a nice, kind of dry banter going on with IOID and RPATS, which is a combination that probably won't work, but who cares? We get to the planet, we meet some kooky aliens to what you were talking about, probably the exact same ones that you nice. so beautifully described, Sheppy. He manages to collect the plant seed, he collects the plant seed that he needs, but while he's there, they establish the atmosphere is changing, the planet is dying. Um, the only cure happens to be the the um, dilated drug that's in his little inhaler, David's inhaler. So, um, so by you know extrapolating some of that, David manages to help them save their own planet and their own atmosphere. Um, and I'm imagining that sh- that trip there is all very interstellary and all the rest of it. Um, so he's managed to save the planet, but he stayed longer than he should, and he's pure Benjamin Buttoning now, and he's <laughs> getting very old. They head home. Um, and they, they sort of do a, you know, Max is kind of actually just taken aback that David would sacrifice himself to stay longer and help his planet. Um, and, um, and and David then gets some ridiculous wisdom for a 12-year-old where Max is saying, you do this, you'd save us. And David's in there. I've seen more in a day than most people, anyone will see in their lifetime, you know, and all that kind of thing. And they get back to NASA where um, basically Max has said, right, well, do, for doing what you're doing, I, you know, it's going to use up all the power of my ship, but I'll use the steamy bath stuff I did on the cheeky little alien and, um, and you know, save you as a human. Um, it's going to strand me on Earth. Probably I won't be able to get home, 
but I'll do that for you because you saved my my planet. Um, but essentially, Dinklage has set a trap somehow with NASA to actually capture the Max spaceship when it re-enters Earth. Um, so you you have the finale, which is hazards are plenty. You've got Arpat's dying. Max is trying to um, to to save him. Um, but you know, obviously, has been tracked and can't be used somehow. Um, you've got uh, maybe I don't know. <laughs> Dinklage has got them cornered somehow and has a, a moment of confrontation when they're trying to get out of the trap and is thwarted by the original alien jumping on him or something stupid like that they managed to save. Nice. Um, they managed to plead. The, the, you know, they managed to save the day. The seed gets planted. Earth is given a chance. In 1978, Arpax is given a steam bath, and, and, um, and Max actually in steam bathing him. <laughs> this is so weird. I've gone that way. And it's, Max actually gets recharged because of the incredibly selfless act of David, and, and actually wow. um, he feeds off the, the power of youth juice, and a uh, new <laughs> young boy. I love it. <laughs> and then, um, and then basically they. Uh, they zip off around the, the galaxy, and then David and the family go home, and um, and 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 you know get to I guess continue where the original movie left off, um, and uh, and Aaron Paul reserves not to turn into the asshole doctor from the original movie, and that's and and do good with the planet. <laughs> that's great. And that, that's uh, Return of the Navigator with the double meaning, Sheppy. <laughs> oh, that's so clever. And I'm loving it. And you got loads of time shit in there and the whole aging thing. And then like, yeah, the whole big situation and going proper old and like Golemy, I'm assuming at the end. Yeah. Like, really like there. Ah, uh, amazing. <laughs> amazing. I would, yeah, I would have done more with it. There's a little bit more of a bubble to pull, but I think that that would be, if you're going to do a direct sequel, why not pull the aging thing the other way? It'd be quite fun. Yeah. You want to see yeah, it. I like it. Yeah. Over uh, that's great. Yeah, no, it's a great idea. And epic, epic story. Um, I'm loving it. Yes, yes, brilliant. Uh, and, you know, I should have mentioned it much earlier, and you made me think of this, the, um, the, the concept with the, with the, like you say, the ageing is really solid, um, and I like that. That's like a nice continuity. So, yeah, wicked, Jimmy, uh, solid. My ships. Well, look, I... I would also... I, I should have said also right in the beginning... Um, the special effects of Max are really good, and it's just worth a shout out. Like early CGI, the floaty mm. blubble stair thing, which are floating, That's and cool, the yeah. ship itself is cool. And then when it does that cool spinny thing and turns into the teardrop, and then like bezes off down the countryside and just scares the cows. It's a really cool ship, um, and it looks cool. And the way David steers, the design on the inside of the ship is cool as well. And the way that like the chair comes up out of the floor and the steering globe things that he uses um, with the Beach Boys, that's all great. Um, and it's worth just a shout out. And apparently, the guy who was in charge of the special effects was Randall Thingy's brother in real life. Uh, the director's brother handled. And it wasn't Disney money that made the film. Disney bought it after it had been made by loads of independent companies. So it was actually distributed by Disney but it wasn't financed by Disney so it did a very good job with that play man and then, you know when just hearing you say all that Sheppy I'm gonna I'm nudging it into three star I'm nudging wow. it into three that's huge you know it the, the, the beginning when he gets home is great 
And all the bits in between him not getting to Max are all actually fine. Him having the brain scan and it's very close encounters and all of that. But considering the film, you know, I don't mind all of that stuff, but if the film was three hours, because what what really is criminal for me is the lack of time David spends on the spaceship. Yeah. And they don't do anything on the ship. There's no, they just need to get home, which is a shit idea. What's he thinking? That's going to pick him up anyway. So, you know, that's, that's my, my problem. Which I, you know, which I mentioned earlier. I'm saying it's a solid two, but the, the, yeah. the good bits are very good. One thing, Sheppy, about what's great about what you did with it is that there's kind of, to make a, a quality show, there's two ways you go for what you did, I think. You either go down the Stranger Things route, which kind of pulls on the whole bit of the NASA where they're looking at his brain and it's kind of all a bit sinister and he wants to call his parents and he can't. And you build that tension around that and you make it more stranger thingsy and pure nostalgia fest for 80sness and the spectacles I was referring to earlier and then the second way you go is is your way which I much prefer which is actually remembering yes the 80s had sinister NASA agents and you can pull that stuff but there's also a lot of joy in the 80s movies and you like just really lean into that and have the character emotion developing, growing, on the run with action like they do in Mandalorian, Cobra yeah. Kai, whatever, like, you know, it's, it's propelling forward. It's, there's no meat on it. Just go, the, sorry, it's full meat, no fat, you know. <laughs> yeah. There's no meat. It's just, it's just David <laughs> it's like a, it's a to play next. <laughs> just, yeah, just a gnawed husky bone. Yeah, um, absolutely livid. Um, that's wonderful. Yes, no, I agree with all of that. Um, solid. Well, Sheps, I had a whole movie to bloody um, throw at you for the next one, and I'm not going to do it. And it's not because I'm chickening out. It's just because it's actually, the more we've unpicked this one, it's actually just a bit too close to this, and it would just be a bit dry to do it back to back. Uh, So I'm keeping that in the chamber for the future. (laughs) It was going to be stepping on some very precious IP, so I'm going to still do that with a different one. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I want to maybe just try and get slightly ahead of the curve on this because I'm not even sure when the release date is of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Ah. But I would like to be reasonably prescriptive on this. I want, Sheps, the third part of the Ghostbusters franchise before the girls got a crack. Sure. It can be set any time between Ghostbusters two and then. So, right. um, and 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 that is over to you, Albine. I'm saying it should be That's a movie. Great. Um, yeah, no, that works. Part three and close the and, trilogy. And, yeah, no, that's that's wonderful, Jimmy. And you know, the, the the girl Ghostbusters film is an alternative universe anyway, uh, so it fits. Um, and I, the, that's great. The third part uh, of the Ghostbusters trilogy. That's wonderful. Yeah, I think uh, we should absolutely. do it. And before we get a little bit corrupted by whatever they do with Afterlife, do you know what I mean? I haven't even seen the trailer because I knew it was delayed because of the whole COVID thing. So I, I'm actually, I know nothing about, but this will be different anyway because, yeah, it's bringing the whole gang back together. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be 1994 because it's going to be every five years. It just makes, it's another five years later. 
that that seems like a no. I mean, that's where I'm going straight away. But yeah, <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Cool, that's great. Cool. Great to me. Um, so I look forward to that. Uh, two in the box, ready to go. We be fast and they be slow. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at shoulderspod.com or shoulderspod at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.